15 is where we're at this morning or tonight. Again, Bible's on the platform, and uh, if you need a Bible, grab one so you can read along with us. The book of Numbers, chapter 13. And Father, we just ask that right now that you help our hearts to be attentive to you. And again, we thank you for this beautiful day. But Lord, you're not through with us yet. And, and you, we know that the best is yet to come uh, as we worship you right now and as we just continue in this worship as you speak to our hearts. And we want to hear some very important things that you have to say and Lord, we want to take heed because as we see that the message to us tonight is take heed and don't have a hard heart and don't be rebellious and be uh, full of unbelief and murmuring and complaining. And so we saw what it did to the children of Israel. And we know that these things are written to us that we can learn and Lord, that we can know that what you say is true and that we can stand on your promises and that we can be men and women of faith. So we come with ears open and our hearts open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13, we read, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, when we go into that book in a, a few weeks when we finish the book of Numbers, we're going to get a little bit additional insight of what's taking place here. And what is happening is, is in the second year of their exodus, we see that the children of Israel are now coming to the border of the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we see that the Lord told the children of Israel, go in and take the land. Now, we've seen that promise, haven't we, given to God's people as he brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to the mountain of God, has given them the law of God, he made a covenant with them. They've constructed the tabernacle. All the priestly ministry is in place and the Levites there to assist the priests. Uh, everything's been given to them, provision of manna in the wilderness and water. And the Lord has given his promises to them as well. And one of those promises is, is that I'm going to give you the land that I swore to your fathers, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm going to bring you into the land of Canaan, and that's your land. I'll drive out the inhabitants, and you're going to have a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, again, I want to remind you that that term milk and honey, it's not just that they're going to go into a place where they can farm and have vineyards and wheat fields and and grain fields, but it is a land of abundance. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter that indeed it was a land of abundance. It's a good land. It's a term that God is using to tell them that this is a land that's going to give you abundance. It's going to be a tremendous blessing, and I'm going to give it to you. And those inhabitants that are there, I'm going to drive out, and you're going to have great victory. So that's the promise that God has told the children of Israel over and over again. And matter of fact, keep in the back of your mind that as they have been hearing the promises of God, but also as he's been giving them their law, when they go into the land, the Lord is saying, this is what you are to do. When you go into the land, here's the civil laws, the religious laws, the ceremonial laws. God has been preparing them to go into the promised land. So now here's the moment of truth. Deuteronomy chapter 1, that they were told to take the land. But we see here, as, as the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send men to spy out the land. Deuteronomy 1 gives us some more insight to that. And what actually had happened was, is that the people came to Moses and said, listen, I know that the Lord is, we know that the Lord has told us to go into the land. 
but we want to send spies in. We want to check it out. We want them to go north and south and east and west so we know what direction that the Lord uh, is going to have us go or what direction we should figure out we should go. All these things, they wanted to plan it out rather than just trusting the Lord that he was going to lead them step by step and day by day. And you see, as Christians, sometimes we can do that. We have the promise of the Lord. We know that he's leading us in a certain direction, but we do all that we can to try to figure out how it is that God's going to do it. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan or we shouldn't have goals or we shouldn't be smart about things that we're doing, but there is that time in in the direction that God has taken us that we need to trust in him, that he will guide us day by day, and, and that we need to trust him as he guides us in that way. You see, as I've mentioned to you before, we want to know what's going to happen in six months. We want to know what the plan is for the next year. Sometimes when we interview for a job, uh, one of the questions that they'll ask is, what are your goals or where do you see yourself in five years? And that's what we say to God. God, where am I going to be at in five years or three years or two years from now? And the Lord is saying, I want you to trust me today. Today I want you to trust me. I'll get you where I want you to be and where you're going, and and I'll do that work. And so here were the children of Israel thinking, well, let's send spies into the land to see what the land is like. And that's what they're doing here is is that the Lord told Moses, go ahead, 12 spies, one from each of the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now I believe that what the Lord is doing here is he's allowing them to go and send spies in because it's going to be revealed where their hearts are at. As we have seen in the, over the last couple of weeks in chapters 11 and 12 and now 13 and 14, we will continue to see that they have had their hearts starting to be hardened. They began to murmur and complain. You remember chapter 11 against the provision of God. They were tired of the manna. They had cooked it. They boiled it. They beat on it. They did everything and eaten the manna that God provided for them for their daily provision, but yet they complained against the provision of God. They said, we want to go back to Egypt and eat the fish and the vegetables that we had there. And so they were wanting to go in that direction. And so when they complained against Moses, and of course Moses came to God in chapter 11 of Numbers and said, I can't bear all the burdens of the people by myself. Where am I going to get meat for all these people? And so God would send quail, but also he sent a plague because of their carnality and because of their mercy. And you recall that in chapter 11, verse 1, that it was the Lord that heard their complaining, and he was very much displeased with them. And so murmuring and complaining against God's provision. And I understand, especially in the day in which we're living, where there's hard economic times, there's uh, difficulties that we face in our own lives. But may we never complain against the provision of the Lord. I mean, he has provided for us more than we deserve. He has provided for us that which we are going to be eternally grateful for, and that is his son who has come and died on Calvary's cross for you and for me. And now we have the hope of his calling. That is the hope of heaven. We have forgiveness. We have relationship with the Father. And we need to keep that in our hearts and be thankful for that every day of our lives because we have heaven that we're looking forward to. So the Lord has provided for us in that way, but also he provides for us now. His promises are true for us. He desires to show himself strong on our behalf, and he promises to work all things out for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. 
And so God wants to do what is very best for us. We may not know exactly how he's going to provide or understand what it is or why it is that we're going through certain trials or difficulties, but we have the Lord, and he promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he's there with us, that he will bring us the comfort that we need, he'll bring us the strength that we need, he will bring us the wisdom that we need and the direction that we need in our lives. And so they had murmured against the provision of God, and then in chapter 12, of course, last week we saw that there was the siblings of Moses, Marion and Aaron, that came against him and accused him of being prideful, and you take too much upon yourself, Moses. And we saw that God dealt with Miriam as she was struck with leprosy. Here what we're going to see is their hardness of heart. And it's interesting that where we find ourselves on Sunday morning in Hebrews chapter 3 is going to make reference to what we are in in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And it it's fascinates me how God kind of works that out. You think, well, Pastor Jeff, you must have planned it. I didn't plan it at all. We're going to see in Hebrews chapter 3 on Sunday that the writer of Hebrews is going to use Numbers chapters 13 and 14 as an example of the children of Israel in their sin of unbelief, in their hardness of heart. The writers of Hebrews are going to be warning those Hebrew believers, do not harden your heart. And the, the sin of unbelief and what it did is it caused rebellion. And what I pray is as we go through these chapters that we see this progression. First, there's murmuring and complaining. It displeased the Lord. The murmuring against the provision of the Lord. Where I'm at, where the Lord has me. And, and so it continues on, murmuring against others. And then it turns now into a hardness of heart. It turns into a sin of unbelief because they're not going to believe in the promises of God that he had given to them. And that is, you are going to take the promised land because I'm giving it to you and I'm going to drive out those inhabitants. It's a good land flowing with milk and honey. That leads to the hardness of heart, to the sin of unbelief, and then a spirit, or that is a life of rebellion. And that's the progression that we see and are going to continue to see even when we get into chapters 16 and 17. The rebellion that is there against God and against uh, the leaders that God has put in place. So the progression of murmuring and complaining It leads to a hardness of heart, leads to the sin of unbelief. I'm not going to believe the Lord because your heart is hard towards him and what he's saying and what he's declaring to you, and then it leads to a life of rebellion. And that's the progression that we see as we go through this. So they were to go into the promised land. I believe that the Lord is just going to have the children of Israel have their hearts be revealed here, as these spies will go in and then come back with the report, and they're going to be disobedient and uh, full of unbelief and not going into the promised land, as we're going to see here. But Proverbs tells us that out of the heart, flows the issues of life and if you have a hard heart and you are full of unbelief you're going to have that worked out in your life just as the children of israel did and so we see in verse four now these were the names from the tribes of reuben shammah the son of zachar and the tribe of simeon shaphat the son of horai and from the tribe of judah caleb the son of jephunah and from the tribe of Issachar, Igil, the son of Joseph. And verse 8, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. And from the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, the son of Raphu. And from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sadai. And from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, and the son of Shushai. And from the tribe of Dan, Ammael, the son of Gamalai. And from the tribe of Asher, Sether, and the son of Michael, 
And verse 14, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai, the son of Voshai, and from the tribe of Gad, Gu, um, Geuel, that is the son of Machai. And these are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. And so we see that they're listed there, the leaders that are 12 spies from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, going to go into the promised land. They're going to go all over the promised land, spy it out. And take note here at verse 6 that from the tribe of Judah is Caleb. Caleb is going to be one that we're going to take note of here as we continue on in this chapter. So keep him tucked away in your mind as we continue on. And then there's Hosea, the son of Nun, that is Joshua. His name, originally Hosea, which means salvation. And Moses changes his name to Yahshua, or Yahshua, which we derive the name Jesus, the Lord thy salvation. Joshua, of course, is going to be the one that is, after this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, is going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land after Moses dies. But Joshua right now is Moses' assistant. So keep your eyes on Caleb and Joshua because they have a very important lesson for us to learn as we continue on. And so verse 17, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, verse 20, whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So go spy out the land. Go away of the south, go away to the mountains, go over by the coast, but go and spy it all out to see if the land is good or bad. To see if there's a lot of people or a few people. To see if they're strong or weak. And it's kind of like they're, they're almost, you can read in between the lines here it, how it's going to be worked out. If the land is good, then we'll go in. God had already told them, remember, that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. What do you mean go spy it out to see if it's good or bad? He had made that promise that he would drive out the inhabitants and, and they're going to have great victory. We'll go see how many people there are. There's few or there's many. If they're strong or they're weak. And so right now you see this doubting that's taking place, wondering if God has told us if it's true, if it really is a good land. And we want to know about the inhabitants. Rather than just saying, you know what, let's do what God has told us to do. And let's step out in faith and day by day that we're going to see that the Lord is going to give us victory as we trust in Him and as we rest in Him. As we are obedient to Him and the instructions that He gives to us. Because we know that He is true. And remember that He's freed us from Egypt and the bondage of slavery and the bondage of, of being in Egypt, the powerful Egyptian empire. And he freed us from the Egyptian army that pursued us because he drowned the Egyptians. And we know that his promises are going to be true for us now. But instead, they want to go spy out the land and they want to see if truly it is a good land. They want to see if it is a lot of people or a few people when God had already given his word to them. And so we read in verse 20. Um, one, so they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rahab near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron and uh, Ahai man and Shishai and Talmai and the descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And then they came to the valley of Eskal 
and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. And the place was called the Valley of Eschol, which means cluster, because of the cluster, which is the men of Israel cut down there. In verse 25, and they were returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So for 40 days they spy out the land. Now, again, the promised land, as I told you, it represents that abundant life that the Lord desires for us to live. There are those who will come along and say that the promised land is a picture, is a type and symbolic of heaven. Well, when we go into the book of Joshua, we will see that as they go into the promised land, that what do they do? They have a battle right off the bat, don't they? They have to go against Jericho and in the tall walls, and the Lord gives them victory. We also see right after that that they had to feed against Ai. Ai means small. It's a small little village, and Joshua went up against Ai, and they were defeated there, and then Joshua was before the Lord, and the Lord said, there's sin in the camp, Joshua, you need to deal with it. But they would have victory, but they faced the giants. They would have some defeat. They would have discouragement. They would face overwhelming odds. They would have to do battle. When I go to heaven, I know that I'm not going to have to do battle. I know that there aren't giants that I'm going to have to face. I know that there isn't going to be defeat. But in this life that I am journeying in, I know that I'm going to face giants in my life, just as you are too. That I know that there's going to be battles, because we do battle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a spiritual battle out there, isn't it? And we're going to do battle against the enemy. We're going to do battle against the world, because we are in the world, but not of the world. And we know that there's going to be times where we feel discouraged and and down and feel like we're defeated but God has given us victory through his son Jesus Christ and we know that as we trust him and as we walk in his ways or are established in his truth that we're going to have that abundant life because Jesus said I came to give you life and life abundantly so again one of the major themes that we are seeing here in numbers that I hope that we're understanding is what causes us not to have that abundant life that life of peace and joy that life of blessing and the strength of the lord and the wisdom of the lord you see there to be those prosperity teachers that will come along and say oh that abundant life god wants you to be healthy and wealthy and name it and claim it and and for you to have abundance of money no the lord is desiring for us to have the spiritual blessings primarily he desires for us to have that joy that's in our hearts even when we face the difficulties and the trials. He wants us to have the strength of the Lord when we face the giants in our lives. He wants us to have the wisdom of the Lord and what direction we should go as we listen to him, to be established in him. And so the abundant life that the Lord has for us Christians, but there are many Christians that end up in a life of just being dry and barren, and and that's the way their journey is in life because they aren't established in the promises of the Lord, because there is a spirit of rebellion, because there is a murmuring and complaining that takes place in their life and so this is what's happening here so they spy out the land here and we see that they bring back this big cluster of grapes they called the place Escal, which means cluster i would have loved to have seen those grapes wouldn't you they they had a pole there and two guys are carrying them on these poles 
I mean, that's some big grapes. And so here they come back. And can you imagine this? After 40 days, verse 26, and they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel into the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and show them the fruit of the land. And so here they bring it back. Can you imagine? And Israel is a very beautiful land. It's very fertile. And it's like a lot of it along the coast, like Southern California. They got forests, they got mountains, they got streams. And it is indeed a good land that is there. And here they went into that land. Can you imagine them coming back into that dry, hot desert in the wilderness of Paran? where there's hardly any vegetation, very, very hot, barren. They come back with these grapes. I imagine the people's eyes got really big. And, and they come back and they give a report, verse 27. And they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people. Remember I told you in verse 6, look for Caleb. He quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. In verse 32, they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land though which we have gone as spies gone through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature and there we saw the giants the descendants of Anak came from the giants and were like grasshoppers in our own sight so we were in their sight so all of a sudden they come back to 12 spies carrying these big grapes the land is flowing with milk and honey it's a wonderful land well of course it is God said it was wasn't it he told them over and over again it's a land flowing with milk and honey so here they are they're given this report but then in verse 28 i have it underlined my bible nevertheless nevertheless that word literally in the original language means despite despite that good report that here are the grapes see it with your eyes and stuff nevertheless here's the deal they have a lot of people. They have strong cities and fortified cities. There's giants in the lands, and the people are everywhere. I mean, the Amalekites dwell in the land to the south, and there's the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, and there are the Canaanites that are along the shore there, and they're also along the Jordan River that we have to cross. They even see the Philistines, I guess, that also had giants. They're all over the place. And it's a land that is not a good land because it devours the inhabitants and the people there are great stature and were but grasshoppers in their sights. And as we read on, we see here that it is ten of those spies that began to say, nevertheless, to the spies, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb says, as he quieted the people there in verse 30, let us go up at once, take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Here's Caleb. Caleb, I love Caleb. 
And I want to have a spirit of Caleb as, as I look at his life. And you read about him in the book of Joshua. Caleb's saying, so what? Who cares if there's giants in the lands and all these inhabitants? And they have fortified cities. Let's go in and possess it. Because God has given us a promise is what Caleb is saying. And as we go into chapter 14, we're going to see that Joshua and Caleb once again are going to stand up and try to quiet the people and saying, why are you being disobedient to the Lord? Why are you hardening your hearts towards the Lord? Let's go in and take the land because he's given us his promise. The other 10 spies were saying, we can't go into the promised land because of these giants and the inhabitants and the cities and everything else. You see, one of the things is, is that the Lord wanted them to walk by faith, not by sight. And that's a lesson if, if you and I are going to mature as Christians and experience that abundant life, we need to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And here they were, they saw the grapes, but they also heard about as those ten spies saw the giants and the fortified cities, and they were walking by sight. And if you are a Christian, if I am a Christian, that that's primarily how we walk is by sight, looking at the circumstances, getting focused on the difficulties, seeing the overwhelming odds that are against us as we see the giants that we face and the things that seem to be fortified and strong against us. And if that's all that we make decisions are, then we're going to end up having a defeated Christian life. If we are just making decisions based on emotions, And I know Christians that make their decisions based on sight, by emotions. God has given us emotions. I understand that. But emotions emotions can mislead us at certain times. And I don't know about you, but there are times where I face giants in my life, where I feel like, Lord, the the overwhelming odds that I'm facing, how are you going to work? And if I let my emotions, that is, make decisions on my emotions, and certainly we all get discouraged and we get sad and we have sorrow, and those are emotions that are a part of our lives. We're all men and women of like passion, certainly we are. But don't let those emotions just lead you into decisions in your walk with the Lord. You are to walk by faith. Walk by faith. And allow the Lord to minister in those times where you're being overwhelmed emotionally. And to say, Lord, I know that I'm facing this, but here's your promise given to me. And I'm going to stand on your promise. And I'm going to have faith in you, Lord. And Lord, help me because I feel overwhelmed. I, I feel sorrowful right now or i'm full of grief or i'm full of confusion or i'm just really grieving right now or having a difficult time i'm going to walk by faith and not just by sight and that's what the lord desires for us to grow to mature into that to where lord this is what your word says you'll never leave me or forsake me and that you do love me and that lord you're going to guide me and direct me And whatever your word says concerning my situation, that I can trust in you, that it's going to come to pass and you're going to lead me and you're going to provide for me. I don't know how many people have sat in my office and the word of the Lord has been given to them and and they are going to walk by sight rather than by faith. And what ends up happening is they'll even go in the direction of being disobedient to the Lord. Maybe somebody comes in and begins to talk to me about a relationship that's bad. They're living with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, and I say, you know what? The Lord desires that you don't do that. 
But you know what the Lord has to say about that and living in sin. Well, I, I got to do it because practically that's how I got to do it right now. And I don't think I can move out or do, do any other way. And they're just going to go and try to figure it out themselves. And so they're going to go by sight. Well, this is the way it's always been. I got to stay this way. And I don't know if I can make it on my own rather than trusting and walking in faith and saying, you know what, Lord, the way that I'm living right now is not pleasing to you. And your word is very, very specific in how I am to honor you in my relationships. And I'm going to walk by faith and allow you to provide for me. It may be in that area. It may be in another area concerning not only relationships, but your work, your business, when it comes to your family, when it comes to raising your children, when it comes to ministry, whatever it might be. And oftentimes what I will hear Christians say is they will say, I'm going to figure it out myself and I'm going to go this way, which is contrary to what God's word has to say, because they think that's the better way or the easy way or I can figure it out myself. He wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. And the way to maturity and steadfastness is to do just that. Lord, I'm going to walk by faith. I know what your word says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's why it's important for us to look at these chapters and to look at the scripture as a whole so we can grow in faith, so we can be established in faith. And when those times do come where we're confused or overwhelmed or we can't figure it out, we won't be tempted to walk by sight. Here they are, they're crying, they're murmuring, and, and, and Caleb's saying, let's go in. God has given us a promise. They said, no, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do that. The second point I want to make in this before we move on is you never follow anyone who wants you to violate God's word. Have you heard me on that? Never follow anyone or take the advice when they're giving you advice that is contrary to God's word. And again, I've talked to many Christians that they get the advice of friends, that they get advice of the world, they get advice of whatever it might be that's contrary to God's word, and they say, I think I'm going to take that advice. Do not go that direction. And these three million people are going to go the direction of these ten spies that are saying, we can't go into the promised land. And they're going to reject Caleb and Joshua who were standing on the promises of the Lord, walking by faith and saying, let's go into the land because God has given us the land. Do not go the direction of that which violates God's word. I don't care if it's your best friend. I don't care who it is. You trust the Lord and you go in the direction that he tells you to go. All right? So here are these guys crying before the people, giving a bad report. It's a bad land. And so chapter 14, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. Again, can you imagine what that sound must have been like? All the people complained against Moses in chapter 11. Moses said to the Lord, Lord, I can't bear the, the complaining of all these people. It's too much for me. It's hard when one person is complaining. It's hard when one person is in rebellion against you. It's hard when one person is weeping. Can you imagine three million here crying at their tents all night long? And here they are as they took the report of those ten. We can't go into the land. So verse 2, all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness. Keep that in mind, verse 2. Why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. 
murmuring and complaining, leading to a hardness of heart, leading to the sin of unbelief, and now leading to a rebellious spirit. And they are rebelling, saying, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. And why? It'd be, should we die out here in the wilderness? If only we had died in the wilderness. And why should we bring our children into a land that's going to end up devouring them and they're just going to be victims? Let's select another leader and let's go back to Egypt. That is not a good place at all to be, is it? It's the spirit of rebellion. Do not harden your heart, is what the writer of Hebrews is going to say. With the sin of disobedience, the sin of unbelief. We'll talk about it more when we get there on Sunday. And here they don't believe the promise of God that he will drive out the inhabitants. I mean, is this what God told them? That they're going to die in the wilderness and that they were going to go in the promised land and their children were going to die? Is that what he said? No. He said, you're going to have victory. I'm going to bless you. I made a covenant with you. You obey me. All these blessings are yours. Trust in me. I've given you my word. I've proven my word to you before and freeing you from Egypt and bringing you out into the wilderness. But here they are, they're, they're crying and murmuring and they're saying, let's select another leader to return to Egypt. You don't want to go back to Egypt. And sometimes when Christians will have the temptation that when they are facing difficult times or wondering how it's going to work and that temptation is there. You've got to be careful that you don't begin to harden your heart against the Lord and then pretty soon you're saying, I'm going to go back to the old hangouts and the old ways and do the old things and go back and be bondage. It's not a good place to be. And so Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Boy, Moses, we're going to see him doing this a lot in the next few chapters, falling on his face before the Lord. And verse 6, but Joshua, the son of Nun, he didn't have any parents. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, I'm just seeing if you're still with me, folks, <laughs> who were among those who had spied out the land toward their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said, Stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared to the ta- that tabernacle meeting before all the children of Israel. So Joshua and Caleb, they stand up here as Moses and Aaron are busy praying for and on their faces before the Lord. And they said, listen, don't have this rebellion. The land that we pass through is an exceedingly good land, like the Lord said. He promised he'd give it to us. Don't rebel against the Lord. You don't have to be afraid of the people because the Lord is not with them. And if he's not with them, he is with us. And if he is with us, we don't need to fear them. Keep that in mind. It's like in, there in Elijah in the Old Testament in 2 Kings where Elijah, his eyes, his servant's eyes were opened up. Elijah's in the house and the Syrian army had surrounded the house and Elijah's servant went out and saw this huge army around him, came in. He was all full of fear and everything. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, open up his eyes that he may see that greater is those who are with us than them that are out there, the enemy. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And the enemies that we face, 
the enemy Satan, as he does battle in the world. You know what? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. The message at the tomb to those women who had received the message from the angel is that the Lord is not here. He is risen. He is alive. Come see where the Lord lay. Is Don't be afraid. We don't have to fear death. And that's what we talked about in Hebrews chapter 2. Is that because it was we consider Jesus our compassionate, merciful high priest, we're no longer under the bondage and the fear of death. We've been free from that. We don't have to fear it. Because we know where we're going. We know the Lord is going to take us to heaven. We know we're forgiven. We know that we have the promises of the Lord presently, so we don't have to be afraid. And so this was Caleb and and Joshua being honest with the people, but their hearts are hardened right now, and they want to be stoned. Sometimes when you bring the truth of God's word to others, even when their hearts are hard, you know what? They're going to want to stone you. They're going to come against you. But we have a responsibility to declare God's word in his truthfulness and his faithfulness and his promises to others. And I know that as we do that, there are those with hardened hearts that may turn against us. But we determine and we are to be determined and we are to be consistent in the message that we give to other people. So Moses intercedes for the people, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with the signs which I perform among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them. So here the Lord, in a righteous anger, he's saying, You know what, Moses? And Moses has heard this before, hasn't he? Exodus chapter 32, when they were dancing naked around the golden calf. That the Lord said, Moses, stand back. I'm going to consume them. I'm going to make a great nation out of you, mightier than what they are now. And Moses, at this time, remember, he's gone through the murmuring, complaining of the people. He's had his own siblings come against him. He knows that they're in a spirit and act of rebellion right now in, in unbelief. Moses could have easily just stepped aside and said, Go ahead, Lord. It's all yours. By your word. But Moses here is interceding on behalf of the people. And as he intercedes here, he's going to appeal to the mercy of the Lord and the heart of the Lord and the promises of the Lord. Verse 13, as we see Moses again said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face. Your cloud stands above them. You go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which you've heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he will kill them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the iniquity, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, verse 19, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt and even until now. In verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned and according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Notice what Moses is saying here. Lord, as he's appealing to again, 
as he's appealing to the truth of the Lord, the promises of the Lord, the nature and character and essence of the Lord. Lord, you gave a promise that you are going to make a great nation, not out of me, but out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what will the other nations say that you brought the people out here in the wilderness? You were seen as your presence was among the nation there at the tabernacle and the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. What are they going to say that you weren't able to bring the people into the promised land? So you just destroyed them out here. Remember the nations to see your faithfulness and your power and your goodness. And also, he's declaring the name of the Lord, remember, that was declared to him in Exodus chapter 34. That as he declared the Lord, his name to Moses, Moses is reciting that, saying that you are long-suffering, that you are one that is full of mercy and forgiven iniquity and transgression, abundant in mercy, by no means clearing the guilty, the iniquities of the fathers. In other words, what he's saying that, Lord, I know that you're going to deal with sin. But he's appealing to the mercy of the Lord. Now, it isn't the Lord that's up there going, okay, I just had a moment and I lost control. I'm out of control. It's a righteous anger that he's feeling. But he's bringing out from Moses that shepherd's heart and Moses appealing to the Lord, interceding on behalf of the people. Moses is hearing from the Lord how serious their sin is and the people are going to hear. But again, it's mercy being shown to them as he said, I'll pardon them. In verse 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times and not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out from the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So the Lord says, but here's the thing that's going to happen, that this generation, and we're going to see that he's going to give this death sentence to those who are rebelling, that those 20 years and above, they're not going to go into the promised land. Remember the census that he took of the males 20 years, and above, or 20 years old and above there in Numbers chapters 1 and 2. As he took that census there, there was over 600,000 men. So all these people, hundreds of thousands, this generation that came out of Egypt, they're going to die out there in the wilderness. The longest death march in history. Because they were full of unbelief and continual unbelief and continual disobedience. He says, how much do I need to show them? And I've tested, how much do I need to be tested now these 10 times, verse 22, and not, they have not heeded my voice. They're not believing me. They have seen me work. They've seen my wonders, my power. They know my covenant, my promises, but yet... They've hardened their hearts and they're not heeding me and it's leading to this rebellion. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, Caleb was one, of course, as we saw, that stood up and said, let's go take the promised land. And it is Caleb that we're going to see in the book of Joshua that's going to come to Joshua when they're taking the land. And he's going to say, you remember back in Numbers chapter uh, 14, Joshua, that it was the Lord that said that he's going to give me as the Amalekites annex this this mountain as an inheritance. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to take it right now. He wasn't afraid of those giants. Oh, that I would have a spirit like him. 
that I am so established in the Lord and so established in his promises and his goodness and his faithfulness that, you know what, Lord, I'm going to possess what you have for me, and I don't care if there's giants there. Caleb, who I believe is going to be 85 years old when they go in the promised land, he says, I'm as strong as I was 40 years ago. And I'm going to go take that mountain, Joshua, that God gave to me. Joshua says, go get him. The spirit that was in the others was a spirit of rebellion, a spirit of doubt, a spirit of complaining and murmuring. Which spirit would you rather have? A spirit like Caleb? I can't help but think about what was said of Daniel in the book of Daniel, that Daniel, as he served Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, the king of Persia, that it was noticed that he had an excellent spirit within him. That it was the same set of Joseph as in the book of Genesis that walked with the Lord and walked in obedience and believed the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. They had a spirit, as Pharaoh would say, not like the others in Egypt. And I pray for every single one of us in this room that as people look at us and they watch us, as they listen to us and as they see the countenance on us, that we would be ones that they would say there's something different about them. they got a different spirit, and that is the Spirit of the Lord working in us. The Spirit of the Lord being evident in our lives and the way that we live and the way that we rely on the Lord and strengthened by the Lord as we trust in Him and as we look to Him. That's what Caleb was. You gave me a word, and I believe it, Lord, and I'm ready to go in, but he's going to have to wait 40 years now. In verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complained against me? I have heard the complaints with the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I, I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the number according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb the, John, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make to you dwell in. But your little ones, remember what was said earlier about the little ones? They said, oh, did you just bring us out here for little ones to be consumed there and die in the promised land? Here God says that your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. They said, should we better for us to die in Egypt, for us to die in the wilderness? Well, they're going to die out in the wilderness now. In verse 33, And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until the carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, has spoken this. I will surely do this to this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. Interesting in Hebrews chapter 3 that we're going to be warned not to have an evil heart. And that is a hard heart towards the Lord, which leads to uh, the sin of, of unbelief, 
that leads to a life in a spirit of rebellion. Here he calls, as we see that worked out in the children of Israel, an evil congregation. And so in the wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die, verse 36. Now the men who Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. So Joshua and Caleb remained alive. The other ten spies were consumed by the Lord. And what a sad commentary. This is one of the saddest chapters in all of the Bible. You're going to be in the wilderness 40 years because you're an evil congregation and because of your unbelief and because of your rebellion. And all those people that came out of Egypt, only Joshua and Caleb are going to go into the promised land. The little ones are going to go in. They're going to know the land, a new generation is going to go in. Are we beginning to understand how much ten men, how they affected and poisoned three million people? And that's what complaining and murmuring and, and, and against the Lord does. That's what a hard heart does as you begin to just you know, spill out your doubts and God isn't good and all of this. It begins to affect and spread to other people. And that's what it did here. So we see in verse 39, And Moses told those words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we, now, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Harmah. Now you may look at this and think, well, you know, they're sorry. They realize they sinned. They're ready to go in. Why didn't the Lord let them go in? Uh Uh-uh. They weren't sorry because we're going to see a continual disobedience and rebellion and unbelief against God. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, a verse that I've quoted a few times in our lessons, is godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. They were experiencing death because they were sorry for the situation they had found themselves in. The Lord said to them, you go back. It's the Canaanites and the Amalekites that are in the valley. You need to turn back and go to the wilderness. And they are being disobedient once again. And Moses is saying, don't go into the promised land because the Lord is not with you. And they're defeated. They presumed to go to the mountaintop. And wherever it is that we go, (laughs) I want the Lord with me. Or there's going to be defeat. And not to just be presumptuous and I'm going to go here when the Lord has told me not to go there. I'm going to go in this direction or I'm going to do it this way. I want to carefully hear the command and the words of the Lord. And I want to be obedient to Him. And I am very thankful that we can repent when we do sin. And that means turn back to the Lord. Turn to Him and walk with Him and be submitted to Him. But they're continuing to want to go their own direction and do their own thing. Moses says, don't go. Lord's not with you. And they go in, and the Malachites and Canaanites clean their cloth. 
and a way for us to be defeated again and have that defeated Christian life is that we're going in a direction where the Lord is not there. That's why it's important that we're listening to the Lord. That's why it's important that we hear the Lord, that we know what His promises are and what it is that He's telling us. Lord, I want to go in that direction. If I'm going the wrong way, Lord, show me and tell me to have that heart that is soft. Do you understand why it's important that you have a soft heart and a teachable heart? Not a hard heart. But Lord, show me and He will show you. And, and to seek out God in His Word and hear that still small voice. And Lord, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. But I don't want to go and try to take that mountain or this thing without you, Lord. Because I know that there's difficulty that's there. And Lord, I want to be where you want me to be. Make sure you're hearing from the Lord. Make sure that you're following after the Lord. Lord, I want you to lead me. See, oftentimes people say, Lord, I'm going to go in this direction. Come on. Come with me. Come this way. The Lord is saying, no. Don't want you to go there. Rather than, Lord, you lead me and I'll follow you. Stay close to you. And so, Father, we thank you for these wonderful lessons in these two chapters and Lord, it is a sad commentary that is written here what happened to your people in rebellion and hardness of heart.